Now, how many of y'all remember this is a continued? How many of y'all brought your outlines with you? All right, that's good. How many of y'all know I was going to make another one? I, usually, usually when I have to finish one, I put a little more goody to it. And so we did that again. And uh, if you want to, you can just transfer the, the, the points from this one to the one you had last week, and uh, we'll cover this. I don't know about y'all, but I really enjoyed last week. Learning, learning that we have a rest that is promised to us. There is a rest that is available. Uh, and, and sadly, sadly, there are a lot of Christians who are not experiencing the rest that God has for them. And, and the illustration was given, uh, the kind of the picture that was drawn is like coming out of Egypt, we have been delivered, we have been uh, rescued from the bondage of slavery, from the bondage of sin, but we haven't made it into the inheritance we have in the promised land. We've, out, we've come out of Egypt, but we haven't gone into the promised land. We're wandering in the wilderness of restlessness. The wilderness of restlessness. And, and so uh, we, we learned some stuff last week. And we got all the way to the point on what do we do or how can we experience the rest that God has got for us and, and we run out of time. So that's what we're going to cover tonight. Uh, we're going to read verses 9. Let's start with verse 9, Hebrews chapter 4 in verse number 9 and start there. And then we'll do a brief review <clears throat> and then we'll start our study. If that's good, say amen. amen. In verse 9, Hebrews 4, 9. It says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. It is available, he saith. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us, what's that word? Labor. Labor. Therefore, to enter into that rest. What rest? The rest of verse 9 the rest that is available to the people of God. We should labor. We should, we should uh, make an effort to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of what? So what is keeping us out of rest? Unbelief. Unbelief is the enemy. Unbelief is the enemy. That is the struggle that we have. That is what's keeping us from experiencing the peace and the rest that God has for us. Then he goes into detail about what will help us with that problem. For the word of God is quick. That means alive. Alive. When you dig into your fingernails and you hit the quick, that's when you say amen. Now, why is that? Because you have hit something that is alive. Are y'all with me? The word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, you may, you may fool me and you may fool each other, but you ain't going to fool the word. The word knows where our level of belief is at and what we need. Verse 13, or excuse me, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. That means be, be fully confident. Be completely assured. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Man, I can't wait to get to that verse that we may obtain mercy and find grace to do what? Help in the time of need. And all God's people see it. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings and your mercy. We thank you for the privilege and the honor it is to be in your house. Oh, this is a great lesson. This is a good one, Lord. This is one that's going to help people and encourage people and bless them. And Lord, get us to that place of rest, confident assurance in who you are. And Lord, I pray that you'll help me. Lord, I, 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 I have the information. I have what you want me to give them, but Lord, I need the anointing. I need the, I need the touch. I need your, 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 your presence in this place. I pray that you'll fill me with the Holy Spirit, control my mind and my thoughts and my words, everything that's said. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to, and don't let me forget anything I need to. And God will be careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. <clears throat> By way of review, in your, in your, in your past notes, uh, and, and I kind of I took some of it out and, and put it together with what we've got today, but we learned that there is a rest that God expects his children to have. Uh, we know, we know that we go back to chapter three and we, when we study the story, he, he reminds them of the story of the nation of Israel. They came out of Egypt. They've been delivered out of bondage and they came through the wilderness and now they're on the edge, Kadesh Barnea on the edge of the promised land. And God says, go in, I've given it to you, go in, it is yours. And they refused because of unbelief. And God says they, they were not able to experience the rest that I had for them because of unbelief. And I want to, I want to take just a minute. You don't have none of these and I didn't give you guys. So, so y'all just going to have to listen right here. I want to, I want to give you, there, there's three things. I mean, let me, let me just give you the, the heads up on, on, uh, the three things that God has given us to experience rest. He gave us, he gave us the scriptures. He gave us a savior and he gave us a source. All right. He gave us a, a promise. He gave us a person and he gave us a place. Now, uh, he did the same thing. He did the same thing with the nation of Israel. He gave them a promise. He gave them a word. Now, let me show you what I mean. In Exodus 23, verse 20, it says, Behold, this is God speaking to Israel. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak. Then, watch what he said he'll do. This is God's promise to Israel. I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, an adversary unto thine adversaries. For my angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I, God, I will cut them off. God says, I'm going to do this for you. I will do it. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do any after their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, watch now, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. These are all promises that God's given them. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land, the number of thy days I will fulfill. In other words, you're going to have a fulfilled life. I will send my fear before thee. I will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. I will send hornets. I love that. I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. In other words, I'm going to do it little by little, all right? So it stays domesticated. Is everybody with me there? How many of y'all know when y'all leave something, everything just grows up? All right, so he says, I'm going to do it little by little. He says, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. 
I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even to the Sea of the Philistines, from the desert into the river, for I will deliver thy inhabitants, the inhabitants of the land, into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Deuteronomy 6. Now keep in mind, God told them all that before they got to the edge of the promised land. Before they went in and spied it out, God says, I'm going to send a hornet. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to drive them out. I'm not even going to drive them out all at the same time. I'm going to do it little by little. That way the land stays prepared and good for you. You just have to move right in. All of these promises God gave them. Are y'all with me? Say amen. That's amazing. He did everything he said, right? Deuteronomy 6.10. And it shall be. When the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, wells digged which thou digs not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Promises. Nehemiah 9, verse 20, describes some of these. Thou gavest, this is in reference to what God did for him. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withheldst not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, their feet swelled not, Moreover, I can, I can have a pair of tennis shoes three months and they're worthless. Forty years, God never let their clothes wear out, never let their sandals rot off their feet. Are y'all with me? Listen. Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide them into the corners so they possessed the land of Sion and the land of the king of Heshbon, the land of Og, king of Bashan. Their children also multipliedest thou as the stars of heaven and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. So the children went in and possessed the land and thou subduest before the inhabitants of the land the Canaanites and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. What is he saying? God did what he said he would do. Now, what I read the second time, the, the, the last part, that was the second, the second group that went in. You remember the first group, because of their unbelief, they went back in the wilderness to wander around 40 years and died. Y'all follow me? I'm going somewhere. I promise I'm going somewhere. The point is this. God gave them his word. And all they had to do was believe it, receive it, and take it. God gave him his word. And not only did he give him his word about what he promised them and everything he was going to give them and everything he was going to do for them, but he also delivered them from Egypt, sent the plagues. He gave them water out of a rock. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them quail from the sky. Hello. In other words, he gave them evidence leading up to the promised land. But they failed because of... Now, here's, here's what I want you to see. I want to describe that rest again just to, just to kind of whet your appetite of what is available to us. Okay? All of those things were exciting uh, that we read. But let me, let me read again that rest that is available to God's people. In Genesis chapter number two, when God finished with his creation, he said, paraphrasing, this is just paraphrasing, it's done. I've made a wonderful world for man and woman. I've given them everything earthly that they need, including each other, for a complete and satisfying life. Even more importantly, they have perfect, unbroken fellowship with me. I can rest now and they can rest with me. 
Adam and Eve were completely righteous when they were created. They walked and talked with God as regularly and as naturally as they walked and talked with each other. They were at rest. In its original, in its fullest sense, they relied on God for everything. They had no anxieties. They had no worries, no pains, no frustrations, no heartaches. They rested in God. And God says, there is a rest that is available to the people of God. There is a rest, there is a place in your Christian life and in your walk with God where you can be at total peace and at total assurance, total confidence in God, a presence and a fellowship with him that produces a peace in your life where it takes away the strife and the anxieties and the fears and the frustration and all of that, you can experience rest. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about a life without problems and a, a life without issues. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about a life without storms. I'm talking about having storms but having peace. Are y'all with me? It is illustrated, we've believed God enough to come out of Egypt, but we haven't believed him enough to go into the promised land. Now what is it? How do we describe that? How do we describe that kind of belief and that kind of confidence? And I, I want to put the word assured because how many of y'all have ever heard the phrase or you used the word rest assured, right? You can, okay? Now, you can rest because you are and if you are assured, it gives you the ability to. Now, now everybody, I don't know if y'all can all see, the, there's two chairs up here. But they are not the same. Now, some of you guys over here may not be able to see this. But I, I want you to, on, on screen, uh, you guys at Fairview online, if y'all watch this, I, I need you to watch this right here. How many legs this one got? How many legs this one got? Three. Now here, here is what I can say to you. Some of us are living our Christian life sitting in that chair. Now you can do it. Now I can do it. But I can assure you I'm not resting. I'm, I'm on edge. I'm, 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 I'm tense. And I can't relax. Are y'all with me? I don't have confidence in this chair. <laughs> but this one's different. I can, I can sit down and I can rest. The reason I can rest, because I'm sure it's going to hold me up. Now, the best way I can explain this is that many of us are saved, born again, but we're sitting in a chair that we don't have a whole lot of confidence in. And we, we believe God he's going to get us to heaven, but we're not sure he's going to pay our bills. We believe God will, will get us to glory and we're saved, we're out of Egypt, but I don't know what he's going to do for me at the hospital. I don't know what he's going to do for me in the courtroom. I don't know. And, and by the way, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, that all peace and rest comes from a non-guilty verdict or a, 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 negative, a negative report from the, the, the doctor. You could still say you have cancer and still have rest. Because you are rest assured that if God brings it to you, 
He'll give you what you need to get through it. Now, I'm going to confess this. I spend more time in this chair than I do this chair. Since I've been studying this, and if I'm just going to be legit with you, I feel like I've been in this chair a while. So what is it? What is it that keeps us in this chair and keeps us out of this chair? Say it again. Now, does God not say that this chair is available to you? Hello. But let me read it. Let me read it. Go back to that verse. Go back to that verse. Verse, verse number, what I say? Nine. Therefore, there remaineth therefore a four-legged chair for God's people. Right? Now watch. Now watch. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Verse number 11. Let us labor. In other words, that taught me something. I'm going to have to work to get into that chair. That's not automatic. Even the nation of Israel, when they went into the promised land, even though God was going to give it to them, they still had to fight for it. Hello? It's not automatic. We got to work for it. Watch this now. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, because this is, this is what's going to keep us out of it. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, here's the deal. I was, <laughs> I was looking in the scriptures, and I've seen some people that's just like me. One man came to Jesus. He said, man, I need you to heal my boy. And he said, well, if you can believe, I'll do it. He went, well, I believe, but help my own belief. Can anybody relate to that? Man, I believe that he can. I believe, I believe that he can, but I'm not sure I believe that he will. Or I'm trying hard to believe. I'm, I'm trying hard to have confidence. I'm trying hard to be assured. Uh, but it seems like every time I turn around, I get a bad report or I get a negative report. Every time I, I seem to get my head above water and get my, 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 I get my head where I can get some air, then something else just pushes me back down. Preacher, I'm trying to believe. Can anybody relate to that? And then the disciples. And then the disciples. Jesus laid something on him. And this is what he said. He said, if somebody comes and slaps you your jaws and, you, and then repents and says, forgive me, you're supposed to forgive them. And then he said, if they slap your jaws seven times. Now, this is the Alabama version. It says, offend you or, or do you wrong, right? He said, then in seven times, if they apologize seven times in that same day, then you need to forgive them seven times that same day. And this was the response of the disciples. And this is what they said. You're going to have to increase our faith for that. That's what they said. They admitted, I don't have, I don't have that much faith. And this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said in, in response to that. He said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say unto this sycamore tree, be cast into the sea and uprooted. And the sycamore tree has some serious root system. And Jesus is using a metaphor. He's saying you can do impossible things if you have faith as a seed of a... Now, he's not saying the size. He could have used a grain of sand for that. A grain of sand can't grow. It's going to be whatever it is forever. But a seed has potential to grow. And what, what Jesus is trying to say here, I know I just asked you a hard thing. I know I just gave you a hard task and an impossible thing in your mind. There's no, you think you can't do this, but I'm here to tell you, if you'll have a faith that will grow, if you'll spend time and effort to get that faith to grow, if you will water that faith and if you will feed that faith and if you will grow that faith, you can do incredible things. 
you got enough faith to get out of Egypt, but you're still on old three legs. <clears throat> but you know what? If we labor, if we spend some time laboring, we can move from this chair to this chair. I'm not saying that all your diseases will be healed. I'm not saying all your bills will be paid. I'm just saying whatever you face, God will let you rest in the midst of it. Rest assured that he's God. Are y'all with me? So, that's where we're at. He gets to this point and says, hey, this chair is available. The ability to rest and, and to... And to be assured in God is available. He said, but we got to labor to get into that. And then he goes, he gives us three different helps for us to get in this chair. And the very first one that he mentions is the word of God. It's the scriptures. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? The very first thing he says is the scriptures. He said, the word of God is quick and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. And here's, I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down. When it comes to the scriptures, how is the scriptures going to help us get in this chair right here? All right? Now we're in our notes. Now we're in our notes. Are y'all ready? Now what did I put, what did I put beside, uh, here's the rest expected, the rest explained, and then the rest what? Everybody say it. The rest Experience. How do we experience that rest? Through, number one, through the scripture. Say it with me. Through the Now what do we, what do we, what did I, what's the word I put out beside that? A promise. That's all the scriptures are. And you say, why are you telling me this? Because in the beginning of this study, I read all those promises that God gave them. That they refused to believe. And it kept them from getting into this chair. Now, the word of God that's sitting in your lap are God's promises and assurances to you. Are y'all with me? Now, let me show you. Why, how, is, how is the scriptures a key to peace? Well, what's, what's, the, what's, the, uh, what's the enemy? What is the enemy we're fighting, guys? Say it again. Say it loud like you mean it. One more time. Fairview, I want to hear you. Here we go. The enemy is. Watch. How are the scriptures going to help us with this? First of all, we have to learn them. We have to learn them. Write that down. We have to learn them. What are we doing? We're laboring to get into this chair. How do we labor? We learn the scriptures. How's that going to help us? Look what it says. What is the enemy? Watch this now. What's the opposite of unbelief? Belief. Belief. Yeah, that's true. What's another word? Faith. Y'all are such geniuses in this building. All right. What's the, what's the opposite of unbelief? Faith. Faith. All right, that's the word we're going to use. I know it's belief, but we're using faith, okay? You ready? The enemy is? How do we conquer unbelief? Watch this now. Watch this. What's the scriptures got to do with that? Romans 10, 17. So then faith, which is the opposite of unbelief, cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh-oh. What are you saying? The more I learn it, the more faith I'm going to have. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Watch this now. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the what? The word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, watch now, watch now, the word of God which effectually, what's that next word? Worketh also in you that believe. What does that mean? It means as you are reading, as you are hearing, as you are learning the word of God, it is going on the inside of you and it is going to work. It is changing you from the inside. 
It is changing your inside. It is changing the way you feel. It is changing the way you think. It is renewing your mind. It's working. You, you, you think coming to a Bible study is not really doing nothing for you. Oh, it's working. It's working and you don't even realize. It's kind of like antibiotics. The first couple of times that you take them antibiotics, you don't see no different. But after you take them for a while, it's working. Church, say amen. Look at this, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Grace and peace. Peace. Boy, that's a picture of that chair. Peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge, knowledge of God. Now watch this. Watch this. God said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they didn't believe him. Well, what happens when you start studying the word? You start learning about God. You start learning about his power. You start learning about his ability. You, go, you start learning about his background. You start learning about his history. You, you start learning that he is a man of his word who cannot lie. And if he tells you he'll do something, he'll blessed do it. And the more you learn about him and the more knowledge you have about him, the more confidence you have in him and the more confidence you have in him, the more assured you are. And the more assured you are, you have the ability to. Are y'all with me? But you're never going to get to that chair by neglecting your Bible. You're never going to get into that chair if the only time you open your Bible is on Sunday and Wednesday. Hello, look, look here. We have to learn the scriptures, but then B, write this down. We have to live them. We not only have to learn them, we have to live them. Luke eleven twenty eight. <clears throat> Luke eleven twenty eight. Watch this now. But he said. Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. It's not enough to hear it. You got to watch what it says in Isaiah 48, 17. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee in the way that thou shouldest go. Watch now. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments then had thy peace been as a Isaiah is telling them, if you would have done what you were supposed to do when you went in the promised land, you wouldn't be in turmoil. You, you wouldn't be in, in isolation. You wouldn't be in captivity. Your peace would have been as a River. river. Proverbs 3 1. Proverbs 3 1. My son, forget not my law. These are the scriptures. But let thine heart, what's that next word? Keep. Keep. Say it with me. Keep. Keep my commandments. Watch what it'll do. For length of days and long life and peace, peace shall they add to thee. Watch what Matthew says. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him as a wise man, which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. In other words, you're still in the storm. You're still in a, in a difficult situation, but watch this. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, Shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Isaiah 32, 17 through 18. Look what the Bible says about obedience to the word and, and following through and living what you learn. The work of righteousness shall be peace. peace. Watch now, watch now. 
And the effect, the effect, what it's going to cause in your life, the effect of righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's right living. It's living what you learn out of the word. The effect of righteousness is what? Quietness and forever. Wow. You can rest assured. My people shall dwell in peaceable habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Wow. So in order to labor to enter into his rest, we must, what the scriptures? We learn the scriptures. Be, or, or we must live the scriptures. Then see, write this down. We must love the scriptures. Must love him. Watch what it says. Psalm 119, 165. What kind of peace? Great peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You look on social media all the time, and it's constantly filled with people offended. People venting and people angry, people getting on there and saying how they were done wrong or whatever it might be. But the Bible says there's going to be something for the people of God. You see, why did I put this one last? I had it first, to be honest with you. I ain't going to lie. I had this one first. But even in my own experience, I have learned this. I didn't start out loving the word. I didn't, and you probably didn't either, because it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a duty in the beginning. We do it because we're supposed to, but the more you learn the word and the more you live the word, you, you, the more you move from this chair to this chair, the more you love the word. And it becomes important to you. Listen, people who love the word don't lose their Bibles. People who love the word don't neglect their Bibles. People who love the word are people who have spent time and effort in the word that's used as labor. I know, I know what Solomon said. Solomon's the smartest man ever lived. And he said that, that with much study is weariness to the flesh. And man, was he telling the truth. By the end of Wednesday, I, I, I go into my office and I never leave my office. They'll bring food to me for lunch and, and I'll never leave my office studying and studying and studying and studying. And I'm telling you, when I'm through here, I ain't trying to be snobbish and I'm not trying to ignore you guys, but I'm done. And I know that that getting in the word is labor. But I'm going to tell you this, that chair's worth it. And if you're tired of sitting wobbly, wobbly in your life and no rest, you're on edge all the time and you just can't relax and you just can't have peace, I want to encourage you, get your Bible. And systematically start learning about the God who saved you. And the Lord that loves you. Amen. We're going to hear about in the second point. And all God's people say it. Amen. So what is, what is the, the writer telling us that's going to help us get into this chair? It, first of all, uh, we're going to experience rest through the scriptures. Say it with me. Through the Then look what he says next. Look what he says next. And, and let me say this about that. It says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What does that mean? That means this. That means all you guys can come to church and you can make everybody think that you're in this chair. You can put on your Sunday smile. You can put on your Wednesday grin. You can make everybody think that you've got it all down pat and your life is nothing but Ken and Barbie. But when you start reading the word, the word goes to dissecting your heart. And you can't hide from the word. 
Because even though you look like you're in this chair, if you're in this chair, it's going to teach you and show you you're in this chair. It knows your heart. It knows your feelings. It knows the intents of your heart. And man, it will read our mail. Church, say amen. We don't want to believe that we have unbelief, but man, the more we study, the more we see, we may have a, we may have a problem more with unbelief than we realize. Now watch this, though. Watch this. He says we can, we can labor to enter in that rest through the scriptures. But then look at the second help that we've been given. Seeing then, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Here's, here's, here's the person. You see, God's given us a promise, but then God's given us a person. We have a person on our side. We have an advocate with the Father. We have an interceder. We have someone on our behalf. Watch this right here, John 14, 27. Who is this person we're talking about? Jesus. John 14, 27. This is Jesus' words. What did he say? What's that first word? Peace. Peace. I leave with you my peace. Jesus speaking. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Three things I want you to write down about our Savior. First of all, he sympathizes. He sympathizes. I'm glad we got a God who, who, who knows. He sympathizes. Look what it says. Look what it says. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Listen, the word sympathize, Webster's Dictionary. To have a common feeling. To have a common feeling as of a bodily pleasure or pain. To feel in consequence of what another feels. To feel in consequence of what another feels. To be affected by feelings similar to those of another. In consequence of knowing the person to be thus affected, we sympathize with our friends in distress. We, we feel some pain when we see them pained or when we are informed of their distresses, even at a distance. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying we have a God who feels what we feel. He's not a God that's disconnected from us because if he was just God and he had never become man, he wouldn't truly know how we feel, but since God became man, Emmanuel, God with us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Are y'all with me? And because of that, he feels what we feel. And I know what you think is, well, what good does that do? It does a, a lot of good. When you try to counsel somebody, when you try to help somebody, when you try to encourage somebody, ain't nobody can help somebody like a but somebody else has been through what that person's going through. There are people that I try to encourage and I try to help, but I've not been in their shoes. I've not gone through what they've gone through. And I can try my best to help them. But Lynn, when somebody comes through and says, hey, I've been where you are. I've experienced what you've experienced. I feel what you feel. How about when Jesus came, Mary and Martha is, is grieving, and, and if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. She said, take me to him. Jesus sees all of the weeping. He sees all of the grieving. He sees all of the mourners. And the Bible says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus. And they said, oh, look how he loved them. Jesus wasn't weeping because he died. 
Say, so how do you know? Because in just a few minutes, he's fixing to go call him back. Why did Jesus weep in that moment? Why did Jesus weep in that situation, even though he knew in just a few minutes? I, you know, if it had been one of us, we'd have said, hey, oh, oh, dried up. Jimmy, just a minute. Let me show you. No, 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 no. No, he wept with them. So they would know that he feels what they feel. He was telling them and showing them, I am with you. We have, a, we have a Savior who sympathizes with our hurts. He sympathizes with our pains. He sympathizes with our situation. He sympathizes with our struggles and our storms. And he feels what we feel. Church, say amen. Not only does he sympathize, but I want you to see this. Write this down. He suckers. I hope I'm saying that right. Look what it says. Look what it says. It says, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself had suffered. In other words, because he felt that pain and he went through that suffering being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Are y'all with me? That word, that word, it literally means to run or to run to support to help or relieve when in difficulty, want or distress, to assist and deliver. It literally means to run to the cry of a child. Preacher, what are you saying? We have a great high priest in heaven that will run to you when you cry unto him. I told you when we were studying that chapter about my little grandson with his little baby sister, his little baby sister was fussing and he ran to her and got right in her face and said, it's okay, I'm here. I'm here. That's what it's saying. We have a God who will run to us. He will run to our side. He will run to support the cry of his child. I like this last one. Watch this. He sympathizes, he suckers, he, he, he pampers, he, he sympathizes. Then, then see, he supports. The word is intercede. You know, let me, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. To succor someone is to run to them. Stay with me now. Everybody look at me, look at me. You got to get this. To succor someone is to run to them to help. To intercede for someone is to run to someone bigger than them. To get help. Now, I done, I done preached good enough. Y'all should have shouted better than that right there. God will not only run to you. Your great high priest Jesus will run to your cry. But he will also run to his father to intercede and say, hey, you got to do something. That's what it means. That's what intercede means. That's what being a, a priest means. Are y'all with me? Look what, look what. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, verse 6. I know it's moving. It's, 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 it'll be all right. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. He's my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Amen. Romans 8.34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, and is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able to save, also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know, we always talk, we always talk about Jesus dying for us. 
But do you realize he's living for you? His ministry extends past the cross. The ministry of the cross and forgiveness and mercy and salvation is only part of his ministry. And if that's as far as you get, man, you're still in the milk. You need to move over into the meat and understand that he is alive and well working on your behalf. He said, hey, old Larry's in a tight down there. You're going to have to help Mr. Mickle. God, you're going to have to help him. That's what that means. And we're, and we're sitting in unbelief. Look what we have to help us. Watch this now. What good is it to have a Savior like that? That feels what we feel. That sympathizes and will run to our cry. Dr. John Wilson often told the following story. Booth Tucker was conducting evangelistic meetings in the Great Salvation Army Citadel in Chicago. One night after he had preached on the sympathy of Jesus, a man came forward and asked Mr. Tucker how he could talk about a loving, understanding, sympathetic God. He said, if your wife had just died like mine has, the man said, and your, your babies are crying for their mother who would never come back, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. A few days later, Mr. Tucker's wife did die. She was killed in a train wreck. Her body was brought to Chicago and carried to the Citadel for the funeral. After the service, the bereaved preacher looked down into the silent face of his wife and then turned to those who were attending the funeral. He said, the other day when I was here, he said, a man told me that if my wife had just died and my children were crying for their mother, I would not be able to say that Christ was understanding and sympathetic or that he was sufficient for every need. If that man is here, I want to tell him that Christ is sufficient. My heart is broken. It is crushed, but it has a song and Christ put it there. I want to tell that man that Jesus Christ speaks comfort to me today. That man was there and he came and knelt beside the casket while Booth Tucker introduced him to Jesus Christ. Preacher, what are you saying? We have a sympathetic high priest whose priesthood is perfect and whose person is perfect. Listen, he sympathizes. He's a real person who's really alive and really present in heaven on your behalf. Number three. What was number one? We, 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 we can fight the enemy of unbelief through the scriptures. scriptures. We can fight the enemy of unbelief through the through the Savior. All the more I'm assured that Jesus is on my side, the more I move to this chair. How in the world could we not sit in this chair knowing we have somebody like Jesus who will not only run to me, he'll run for me. Number three, through a source. We can fight unbelief through the scriptures, through the Savior, and through the source. Look what it says. Look what it says. Let us, therefore, because we have the scriptures to encourage us and teach us, because we have a Savior who sympathizes and understands, let us, therefore, verse 16, let us, therefore, come boldly Unto the throne of grace. This is a place, y'all. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Well, uh, this is going to be good. God's given us a promise, God's given us a person, and God's given us a place. A place that we could come to in our time of desperation. 
You see this place, there's a play on words here in kind of giving you the picture of the temple and the tabernacle. You see, you see in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, everybody couldn't run into the Holy of Holies when they had a problem. You see, only the high priest could go in to the presence of God and be in the presence of God. And he couldn't go in there anytime he wanted to. He could only go in there on the day of atonement and he had to go in there with blood for the sins of the people. And that was the only time he could go in there. And if anybody else went in there, they would die. That was the throne of grace. That was the throne of mercy. You see, the, the Ark of the Covenant was there. That was God's seat. That was his throne. That was his place that he resided with his people. But they were kept out. They were secluded from getting into his presence and being where he was. The veil kept them out, kept them separated. But the moment Jesus died on the cross, the moment Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said that veil that separated God from man and man from God who kept us from having access to the presence of God, it ripped from the very top all the way to the bottom, not so God could get out, but so that we could get in. Preacher, what are you saying? I have access to a place of support. I have access. I can come boldly. I can, he didn't just say he didn't just say come. He said come boldly. You see, we have access now. We have access. Ephesians two eighteen. For through him we have access. We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Ephesians 3.11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we both have, or we have boldness and with confidence by faith of him. Church, say amen. We have access to where he is. We have access to the throne of grace. I looked at that word Grace. And it really means graciousness. So this is what I want you to write. Not only do we have access, but we have acceptance. Not only, not only did the veil rip so we could get in, it's okay that we stay there. It's one thing to get into his presence. It's another thing to be welcomed there. There's a lot of people coming to my office, but they ain't welcome. But let me tell you about a little fellow that's about that tall. That he come running down the hallway just about an hour ago. He had a little happy lunch or whatever it was from Chick-fil-A that he had. That's all. I don't know what he's saying, but that's what it says. He may be Pentecostal. I don't know. He's speaking in tongues all the way down the hallway. <laughs> Come running into my office boldly. He didn't check with the secretary. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't do none of that. He ran right in. You know why? He knew Papa was in there and Papa was going to give him access and Papa was going to welcome him and Papa was going to whip anybody that messed with him. You say, you're being silly. No, I'm not. You don't understand. Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have a Father in heaven who loves us beyond our ability to even understand it. We can cry, Abba, Father, and go right into his presence, go right into his home, go right into his throne room, and be welcomed when we got there. You see, before if they'd go into that presence and rip that curtain open, God would have killed them right there instantly because they didn't have access. But according to the scriptures, you have access. Now, let's be honest about that. How many times do we visit? How much time have we spent in his presence Maybe that's why we're still in the wobbly chair. Because we haven't come boldly to that place.
Some of us haven't done it because you didn't realize you have access. Well, now you know there's no excuse. You can go straight to God and say, God, I'm hurting. God, I'm broken. God, I need you. Boy, I'm going to love to give you this last point. Boy, when I saw this, we not only have access. He said, come boldly unto the throne of grace. We have acceptance. We're welcomed in his presence. It's a throne of grace. The word grace means graciousness, acceptable, favored. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein we have made, he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Not only do we have access, we have acceptance, but we have assistance. Assistance. Watch this. This is so good. We have assistance. What are we going to do when we get into that place that we have access? We're going to find, y'all with me? We're going to find grace to help. To help. Now watch this. Now don't nobody wrap nothing up because this is the best part of the whole thing. The word help. It is, it is the word boetheia, close enough. It's the Greek word, boetheia. Say whatever you want to say, but let me tell you what it means. It means aid, especially a rope or a chain for frapping a vessel. Frapping a vessel? I had to figure out what frapping a vessel was. And when I learned what frapping a vessel was, you see, in the old days when the ships were made out of wood and boards that were nailed together and brought together, they would be in storms. They would be in storms that were threatening to tear the ship apart. The ship would fall to pieces. So they would take ropes and chains and run underneath the ship all the way to the back and tie it together and run another rope and tie it together and run another rope and tie it together so that when it was in the middle of a storm, it didn't fall apart. Have you ever been in a storm where you felt like you were just going to fall apart? Well, God says in this verse that there is a place that we can run and we can find help in the time of need. We can find what we need to tie us together to keep us from falling apart in the storm. I don't know about y'all, but that helped me. Because so many times I feel like I just don't have what it takes and I don't, but there's a place I can go. Now, here's the question. I'm out of time. But here's the question. How much time are you spending in the scriptures? And how much time are you spending in his presence? Because the more you learn about him through the word and the more you feel him in his presence, the more you'll be able to even in the storm. You see, frapping the ship didn't keep the ship from the storm. It just kept the ship together while the storm lasted. I don't know about y'all. There's been days in my life I needed some frapping. Can anybody relate to that? There is a rest. There is a confidence. There is an assurance that will give us the ability not to, not to escape the storm because nobody's going to escape it. Nobody's going to escape tribulation. Nobody, no, I don't mean the seven-year tribulation. We're escaping that one. I'm just talking about difficulty on this earth. 
trials and storms. Painful things. But when I know, somebody knows. He feels what I feel. And he not only will run to me, he'll run to the Father for me. And I know I have a place. Anyway. He that dwelleth in the shadow of the Almighty. Hello. Anyway, we've got to stop now. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. There is a rest. There is a rest that's available. And sometimes, sometimes we just need to crawl up in his lap and rest. Sometimes we just need to get alone and play some good gospel music. And just focus on him. When when, when Peter was walking on the water in that storm, he was doing good as long as his focus was on Christ. But the moment he looked at his doctor's appointment, the moment he looked at his power bill, the moment he looked at that devastating thing that's happened. He began to sink. But here's the cool part. I can relate to that. But the Bible says the minute he cried out. Now, I don't know how far. It's just a thought. I don't know how far away Jesus was. All we know that he had come out the ship and was headed to him. But we don't know how far he was. He could have still been another hundred yards from him. But the Bible says the moment he cried out, boom, immediately Jesus was there. Listen, there's a rest. There's a rest.